Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Today, we're going to be continuing in our series on the Beatitudes with the sixth Beatitude. And this one is probably filled with the most hope, the greatest promise out of all of them. And so I want to read it in Matthew 5, 8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I've never personally seen God, so you can guess the purity of my heart. (laughs) Anybody with me? I love this promise, though. It says the pure in heart will see God. And when we consider all the language of the Old Testament, this is a revolutionary promise. In Exodus 33, Moses asked to see God, and this is what God says. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Last week's beatitude, blessed are the merciful. He says he will be merciful on who he shows mercy. But... He said, you cannot see my face, so, for so no one may see me and live. And so if you know someone who's seen the face of God, they probably died already. John 1.18. If you're not sure about this Old Testament verse I just read, here's the New Testament. No one has ever seen God. <laughs> Pretty clear. Still, you, want, you don't believe... The Gospels? You want Pauline epistles? Okay. First Timothy. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom, say it with me, no one has seen or can see. Yet, in the sixth beatitude, Jesus says, blessed, happy, lucky are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. And I cling to that. I desperately want to see God as he is. Anybody with me? I want to dwell in his house. I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. I love what the psalmist says. One thing I seek, that I would be able to gaze on the beauty of God. And right here in the Beatitude, there is a hope There is a promise. I think it's the greatest promise out of any of the Beatitudes. Yes, we receive the kingdom. Yes, we'll be comforted. But to be in the presence of God, to see him, what greater reality could there ever be in this life? What greater hope can there be? You know, but if I'm honest, I have felt, I have sought the Lord. I've sought his face. I've looked for him. Lord, I want to hear your voice. Lord, I want to see what you're doing, but I I sometimes feel like, Lord, I don't even know where you are. Where are you in my life? What are you doing? I can't even hear your voice. I want to see him because if I'm going to be real honest, I have a lot of questions for God. God, where were you when this happened in my life? I didn't see you moving. God, where were you when this happened in my family? God, why did you allow this to happen to my finances or my career? God, why did you allow this sickness and this disease? God, why why don't you show up when I'm so lonely and I'm longing for relationships? And I've given my whole life to you, but I can't see you. 
I felt like I've looked for the Lord and I haven't seen him. And I, I do have these many questions like, God, did Adam and Eve, did they have belly buttons? I need to know. I need to know. God, can you kill time without injuring eternity? I need to know. These are the questions, but sometimes I, I lose hope looking for God because he hasn't shown up in the way I want. You know, I, I, I have found myself looking and not finding, and I think this happens even in my own house. There are many times where I'm opening the refrigerator and I'm looking for something to drink or I'm looking for bread, and I can't find it. And I know I'm uh, not supposed to ask this because I'm going to annoy her, but I, with fear and trembling, I go, Amrita, where's the bread? And she says, you just have to look. Great, why did I think of that? You just have to look. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I can't find it. It's in the fridge. I know it is. I've seen her get bread, but when I open that door, I just can't find it. I, and I, I feel your frustration, Amrita. Like, how can you not see it? Yeah, can you not just look? I feel like she, she thinks of me like these pictures. Let's show these, these memes. When I'm looking for something in the fridge, if we could throw that picture up there, my husband looking for anything in our house. And all the, all the ladies said... Amen. Here's another one. Let's put it up. When my husband asks me where something is and it's directly in front of his face, can't can't you see that? (laughs) Can't you see that? You know, I think many of us miss seeing Jesus because we're looking for him in places that he isn't. We're expecting him to show up in ways that he never planned on showing up in that way. In fact, throughout the scriptures, we see the religious leaders primarily the Pharisees, they resisted Jesus, yet they were the ones that were the most studied, the most familiar with the scriptures. They knew God's word. They knew the promises. They knew the prophecies. They knew exactly how God was supposed to show up as the Messiah, and yet they missed him. Have you ever noticed that? They were so much like us pastors. They were the people who are supposed to have the answers. They're the people in the church building. They're people preaching the messages. Yet when Jesus showed up, they said he was possessed by a demon. They said he was a blasphemer. They said he wasn't right. He was breaking the laws. And they completely missed him to the point that the religious leaders who are longing for God, who are longing for a Messiah, when God showed up, what did they do? They accused him. They arrested him. The religious leader conspired with the government to get him arrested and tortured and placed upon the cross to die a sinner's death. And my fear is, That us as the church today, those of us who are familiar with doing church, familiar with scriptures, familiar with the rhymes and the cliches, if God showed up amongst us today, we would miss him. That if God showed up at Kalos Church, we wouldn't welcome him. We wouldn't like his ideas. We wouldn't like his questions We wouldn't like how we expose the way we do church because, God, this is how we do church. 
God, this is how we operate. This is how I live a Christian life. My fear is that if God showed up today, we would miss him. Because here's the reality, point number one. Jesus often fails our expectations. When you expect the bread to be in one part of the fridge, but for some reason your wife moves it, and you look and you look and you look, and it's not in that area, you miss it because it was never there in the first place. And I feel like some of us expect Jesus to show up as this pure Republican. But he isn't the Republican Party. Jesus, you're supposed to be this pure Democrat, but Jesus is bigger than Democrats. Amen? We expect Jesus to be this woke activist and have all the right language and all the right words and and to confirm what we already believe. But Jesus says, I'm not in that. No category can confine me. I am the Lord of Lords. I am the King of Kings. And if you expect me to show up in this political party, if you expect me to show up in this bout of activism, I am not going to meet your expectations because I am God and I don't fit in your box. I don't fit in your category. Jesus often fails to meet our expectations. I love this quote. The religious leaders, N.T. Wright says it like this, they were looking for a builder to construct the home they thought they wanted, but he was the architect, coming with a new plan that would give them everything they needed, but within quite a new framework. They were looking for a singer to sing the song they had been humming for a long time, but he was the composer, bringing them a new song to which the old songs they knew would form, at best, the background music. He was the king, all right, but he had come to redefine kingship itself around his own work, his own mission, his own fate. The Pharisees were brilliant theologians, but their self-righteousness blinded them from seeing God as he really was. And this happened throughout the scriptures. We expect God to show up in one way, but he shows up in disparate ways. Can I say a good amen right today? I hear people laughing at that, but it's true. In Luke 7, this is an example. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. So they're watching him, waiting, expecting him to fail. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. How do we in the church get to a place where we're upset when people get healed? How do we in the church get upset when people experience salvation? baptisms, fresh starts. Why are you holding an Easter service, Pastor Pradeepin? Don't you know that has pagan origins? God can't redeem that. It's the biggest service of the year. It's where we experience the most salvations. I'm so upset people are getting saved in your Easter service. How do we get to the point where we're upset that God is moving? 
Pastor Pradeepan, how do you have female ministers at Kalos Church? Do you see what they're doing? Female ministers, they're praying for the sick and they're getting healed. They're preaching the gospel and people are surrendering their lives to Jesus. Doesn't that make your blood boil? People following Jesus, people making decisions to get baptized. That should not be so. Who cares if there was a, a church in the New Testament led by Priscilla and Aquila, a church in their home, and they mentioned the woman first? Who cares if there was a female apostle by the name of Junia? You're naming your baby what? Come on, somebody. A female apostle in the scripture. Who cares if in the Old Testament there was a, a woman named Deborah who commanded the armies of God? Who cares if there's prophecies in the book of Joel that says God will pour out his spirit on all flesh and even our women will prophesy. You're telling me that the scripture gives us rule for women prophesying in church, but women can't speak in church? What? And so we ignore the bigger narrative of what God is doing throughout the scripture to focus on this one verse without studying the full context. And we're ignoring the fact that people are getting saved and declaring Jesus is Lord. And we believe that nobody can say Jesus is Lord except for by the spirit of God. Amen. How do we get to the point where we're upset with salvations? It's because Jesus doesn't always meet our expectations. I don't serve Kalos Church, I serve the Lord. I don't serve ministry, I serve the Lord. I don't even serve the kingdom, I serve the king. And I will do whatever he tells me to do. He is the priority of my heart. I remember when I was a, a young man, I was so depressed, I wanted to end my life. I actually had attempted to end my life a few times. And one day, I remember in Minnesota, it was raining, and I, I, I realized I need some hope, I need some direction, I need a fresh start. So in the rain, I walked two to three miles to go to a church. Hadn't been a church on my own ever. Nobody invited me, I just was looking for an answer. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're in that moment today right now. So I walk in the rain, and I walk into this church. I'm just a young teenager. I had moved across the state of Minnesota because I had been arrested. My mom is living out of her car. I'm in just a world of trouble. I'm failing all my classes. I'm depressed. I show up to the church. I want to seek God. I want to see his face. I want to get things right in my life. And I sit down in the back pew, intimidated, scared. I don't know the songs. I don't know the culture. I don't know the traditions. There's not a lot of Pradeep and Jimano here and Sivaratnams in this church in Minnesota. <laughs> and I'm just looking for direction. Someone help me sing these songs. And this older gentleman walks up to me. Oh, maybe this person will help me. And he says, young man, how dare you wear a hat in the house of God? God deserves better than what you're doing right now. Never went back to that church in my life. I was looking for God. I was seeking him. And someone missed that opportunity. They missed the larger narrative of what was the work of God in my heart. How do we get to the point where we're so caught up in our own rules, in our traditions, and what we expect of God, and we miss him 
when he shows up. You know, point number two, speaking of the Pharisees, I believe this. You can do the right things for the wrong reasons. Jesus warns us all the time in the scriptures that ideals easily become idols. God, this is how church is supposed to be. We have to have this kind of music. We have to have these kind of arrangements. We have to have this structure. And yes, I believe that we ought to build our lives on the foundation of the scripture. It is our guide. And I believe that the Beatitudes are ordered in a certain way. We do hunger and thirst for the righteousness, the right dealings of God, the order of the kingdom. But we also believe that it's not just justice. We have mercy and thank the Lord for that because he doesn't always treat us fairly. Can I get a good amen? If true justice were to come right now, we would all be dead. But there's mercy. And he says, hey, the law demands this. But instead of punishing you as the law demands, I'm going to take that punishment upon myself. Yes, somebody has to pay. But Jesus says, I will make the payment. Amen. And that is good news, that he hasn't treated us fairly. But then we can build these monuments to ourselves and these structures, and we can do right things, but for the wrong reasons. Hey, young man, you need to wear a hat. I remember at the church I was a youth pastor at before I was here, there was a pastor who's a senior pastor, and he had been praying for these three girls to go to church. And they hadn't been to church in a long time. And they finally showed up, and the youth pastor said, how dare you show up with a tank top? How dare you show up with a tank top? And they kicked the girls away. The senior pastor was very upset. (laughs) I've been talking to this father. I've been persuading them to bring their girls. And when they showed up, you kicked them out? What does youth ministry exist for? Did Jesus not come for the sick? Those tank top wearing sick sinners? (laughs) No, Jesus didn't come for the turtlenecks, but for the tank tops. Amen? <laughs> Is that a story about you, Becca? That's, that was your story, right? That, I, think, I, I think I'm talking about you. Just a t-shirt. Sinner! <laughs> Thank you for wearing a hoodie today. Now, do I think this youth pastor is evil? No, they had rules. They wanted to establish order. They had a culture they're trying to build. But sometimes we can forget the bigger picture of what God is doing. And we can do the right things, bring in order, but for the wrong reasons. I think sometimes our order in the church, our safety in the church becomes an idol. And these ideals become idols. I think that's why many of us are afraid of the move of the Holy Spirit. Because he messes with our safe organized little model of ministry. But I I boldly declare at Kalos Church, plan A for us is following the leading of the Holy Spirit, and plan B is all this other stuff we do trying to follow God. Amen? Amen. And so this is what happens in the scripture. I, I love this little story about Jesus in Matthew 15. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why... Do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? I feel like they're talking about me. They don't wash their hands before they eat. (laughs) So this is what the Pharisees, when they have the opportunity to talk to God, this is what they talk about. Disciples who don't wash their hands before they eat. Anybody? A disciple in the house of God today. (laughs) 
Jesus replied, he, he is about to out with them, out legalize them. Jesus replied, and why do you, this is all about hand washing conversation. Hey, you're, it's kind of gross. Your disciples aren't washing the hands before they eat. Um, in our culture, we don't want to be unclean, so we've made these rules outside the Jewish commandments to d- protect us from ever breaking the rules. So we wash our hands so that we're always clean before we eat. But then Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Ooh. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Who's thankful for mercy? <laughs> But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they're not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Ooh. So back in this culture... You are supposed to honor your mother and father. Even with your finances, you're supposed to take care of them. They didn't have social security. They didn't have a lot of the safety nets to take care of the elderly. So you're really dependent on your family. But they discovered a shelter, like a tax shelter, religious shelter equivalent for their finances. They realized, hey, if I say all of my money is devoted to the Lord, then I can't use that to my parents. But I can still use my money for myself. So they would take their bank accounts and just say, hey, parents, sorry, I can't take care of you in your old age because all of my money belongs to the Lord. Oh, I wish I could give you some food to eat, but it belongs to God. I'm sorry. I wish I could get you a new tank top, but I can't. It belongs to God. And they made up that rule. That's not in the scripture. God didn't say in the scripture, if you just devote all your money to God, quote unquote, you don't have to take care of your parents. That was all imaginary tradition, and Jesus calls them out on it. Have you ever wondered what we're doing in the church is just imaginary tradition? And I think that's why many of us hate this idea of purity culture. We hate the word purity in the church, but Jesus said, blessed Happy, lucky are those who have a pure heart. It's a good thing to want purity. Amen? But purity isn't reading a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. (laughs) It's not. Purity isn't breaking all of your secular music CDs and destroying them in a fire. That is not what purity is. I remember in Bible college, I met people who wouldn't read... The, the Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia because they wanted to be pure. I'm like, what? Christians wrote that. Are you, what? That's too pure. No. What, what is purity? I love what the Danish existentialist uh, philosopher in the 1800s, uh, Soren Kierkegaard said. He said, purity, he actually wrote a whole book with this title. He said, purity is to will one thing. Is just to desire one thing. Purity isn't like avoiding all of these things. It's being single-minded, having one devotion, having eyes to only see one thing. When we have pure water, it's not that the water has never been dirty. It's the fact that it's gone through a filtering process. And now it's just water, and so it's pure. Are you tracking with me? When you 
order olive oil. You make sure you get California certified organic olive oil with the seal. Otherwise, you're getting olive oil that's been cut with different types of vegetable oil. And all my organic eaters said amen. amen. You got to make sure you get the right oil that hasn't been cut or diluted with other things. So purity is just having one thing, one focus. And I feel like these religious leaders, they miss Jesus because they didn't want to accept God as he was. They were trying to love God, but to keep their traditions, to keep their safety. And so they are in this position where they wanted the approval of man, the approval of their traditions, and so they misguided. That's why Jesus is so hard on the religious leaders. He would say things, hey, when you pray, don't do it before a ton of people. Yes, we pray publicly, but if you're only praying publicly, that's a problem. And so when you pray, don't just do it for the approval of man, because that's your reward. When you fast, don't like look downcast and distraught to get sympathy from people. Oh, I'm fasting. And you're just wanting attention. He says, no, don't do that, because then you're getting your reward. You're divided. You're not doing this for God. You're doing this for the approval of man. That is not pure. When you give your alms, these religious leaders, they would sound the horns and the trumpets, make a big commotion. Look, I'm giving money to the poor. And Jesus says, you're not doing it for God. Don't let your right hand even know what your left hand is doing. You need to be single in your motivation. Single in your eye. You might, don't look to the left or to the right, but focus on the Lord. Purity is one thing I seek, Lord, to gaze upon your beauty. Jesus wants us to love him with all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul. That's why he says you cannot serve God and money. He wants you. And so this purity culture, if it's just suppression, it, it's not the goal. Sometimes in the name of purity culture, we think we just have to suppress our heart, suppress our heart. But here, here's the deal. Jesus isn't at war with your heart. He's at war for your heart. He wants 100% of you. That's what purity says. So James 4.8 says it like this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See how he links that? You double-minded need to purify your hearts. So in Kierkegaard, he says, in the first place, a statement must be made, which is easy to grasp, that the man who desires the good for the sake of the reward does not will one thing, but is double-minded. And so when we pray, we got to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? What's my motivation? Am I doing it for the gram? Am I allowed to pray without or read a scripture without posting on Instagram to get the approval of people? When I give, do I have to let people know it? Even me. I'm preaching a sermon right now. Am I preaching to impress you? Am I preaching to grow a bigger church so we have more financial stability? Am I preaching because I'm an insecure person and I desperately want to be respected? And what, what are my motivations? Why are we doing what we're doing? Or are we single focused on God? You know, the heart is deceitful. The heart can produce all sorts of things, murder, adultery, theft. That's what Jesus says. 
And we all have mixed motivation. I remember when I was in Bible college to be a pastor, we had this test about ministry of mercy, about taking care of the sick and the poor amongst us. And we had to go to a different room to take the test one day. So we show up at our normal meeting room. There's a sign, go to another room. All right, we're going to take a test on what does the scripture say about taking care of people who are dealing with sickness and oppression. So we go to the other room, and as we're traveling, we notice there's a lot of extra people there, people just walking, sitting, hanging out, but it's not normal students. We get to the classroom, and uh, the teacher asks us, hey, did you notice anything on the way here? We say no. He says, well, you failed this test. And so we all failed the test. What happened? He says, let's go walk from where you came. And we had to go through this area outside, and the path we took was filled with all these actors pretending to be sick or looking for prayer and hope. Signs like, hey, will you pray for me? Signs like, will you help me? And in our motivation to pass a test, to be pastors, we walked by the sick, the hurting, the ones looking for hope. And yes, we, we want order in this church at Kalos. We want to throw excellent, great services. But if we walk by the sick and the hurting and the poor and the, the name of our ministry, we're missing the point. Yes. We're, if, if we're so afraid to minister to people on the Sabbath while they're stuck in ditches and, and they're depressed and looking for prayer, that we walk by them, I feel like some of us care more about the Sabbath than we care about God and his people. We're missing the point, and we're just like the Pharisees. So God, what, what's going on in our heart? And You know, in every sermon, I want you to get a little lost before I offer the hope of God finding you and bringing you salvation. And so I don't want to leave you feeling guilty because you're like, man, my heart is so unpure. I do have mixed motivations. I don't know all the motives of my heart. But here, here's the good news of the gospel. Point number three, it takes God to see God. The pure in heart get to see God, but don't forget that God is the great purifier. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Titus 2 says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people, to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Malachi 3 says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. I love this image of God sitting at the refiner's fire. You know, in this culture, they would take gold and they wanted pure gold or pure silver. And so they would put it in this vessel and they would heat it up to really high temperature so that the gold would melt And as it would melt, the gold would be heavy, so it would fall to the bottom. But the impurities, other known as dross, the impurities would rise to the surface. And then the refiner, notice he's sitting at the fire. He's not standing. 
He's not in a hurry for this refinement process. He's sitting there calm, heating things up, working things out. The gold is hot, and then the dross comes to the top, and he scrapes away the dross. And he keeps on doing this. The temperature gets hotter and hotter, and he scrapes away the dross. And the gold becomes so pure that the refiner can see his own face in the reflection of the gold. And that's what God wants to do for each and every one of us. He wants to be the source of your life, but he is a refining fire. He, when we approach him, he brings out the impurities of our heart. And we say, Lord, who can stand before you? I am wicked. I am lowly. I am not perfect as you are. But Lord, I I draw near to you, and I know that when I do that, when I do that in boldness because of the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross, I know that you draw near to me and that you will purify my heart. You'll help me not be double-minded. You'll cleanse my hands. And so, Lord, I draw near to the fire, and he just scoops that dross away until he can see his own reflection because we are image bearers of God. And I know many of us today, we feel impure. Maybe because of things that have happened to you, you feel impure. Or maybe because of things you've done to others or in your own life. But the good news of the gospel is that when we draw near to the fire of God, oh, and we need the fire of God in our churches to burn away our idols, to burn away our expectations and our traditions that get in the way of God. We need the fire of God. And when he does that, it it does hurt. I'm going to tell you, the closer you get to God, the hotter the fire feels. And you notice things about your life, but it's a good thing. It's a purification process. It's a good thing because it makes us look more like we were always meant to look. And you might feel impure, but the good news of the gospel is Jesus is the great purifier. You know, there's a man in the Bible named David And I'm amazed that the scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. The scripture celebrates his heart. But he was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He did all sorts of wicked things. He would have been canceled immediately in today's society. But yet, he was called a man after God's own heart. And that's why I'm thankful for the mercy of God for me. Because I know I've made mistakes, but praise God for second chances. I know I mess up. I know my, my heart can be wicked, but I'm so thankful that I can invite, like Colossians says, Jesus to dwell in my heart. That he can turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. That when we do guard our hearts from wickedness, oh, well springs of true life can flow out of it. And King David, he, he prayed a psalm in 51. He wrote these words after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He writes this and. I pray that this would be our prayer today. Would you just close your eyes? And as we ask the Lord to purify my heart and our hearts today, and I hope that's your prayer, that you would ask the Lord to purify your heart. Maybe you could make the the words of King David's, his prayer, your prayer, in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight so you are right 
in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. And wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God and Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise me. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.